show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just saying enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. everyone and welcome to police off the cuff real crime stories i'm your host bill cannon and tonight with me as on most nights my co-host straight out of brooklyn phil grimaldi how you doing tonight phil i'm doing good just made it under the wire but yeah i'm good i'm good a hectic day but i don't know if i really want to hear about dishwashing and all that other stuff that affects all of us but anyway you know i I, we were i've been listening so much to a lot of the um interaction about the uh brian laundry death and uh, gabby petito and of course the, the intrigue with this is unbelievable and it's because it's there's a lot of unknowns to this there's a lot of things that uh people want answers to and right now there are no answers and one of them is like why did it take so long uh for the police to find the body of brian laundry and I'm going to play a little clip here and just bring us back to uh, the, the, I think it was October 22nd when they first re- recovered the body. So let me play this here and uh, we'll get a better idea. Breaking news right now in Mor- Northport, the FBI has confirmed that Brian Laundry is dead and the human remains found in the woods yesterday are his. Fox 13's Dan Maddox is following all the developments tonight live from the park with some new information. Okay, I know this just uh, was released just a few minutes ago, Dan. That's right, Kelly. The FBI confirming really what a lot of us had suspected since yesterday. They tweeted out at 539 this afternoon, this evening, put out a tweet the FBI did from Denver, their Denver office, saying a comparison of dental records confirmed that the human remains found at the reserve are those of Brian Laundry. Meanwhile, the search for additional remains continues here at the reserve. Cadaver dogs were back at the Nature Preserve Thursday, which may indicate the human remains that were found on Wednesday might be scattered. Our thoughts and prayers are with Gabby and the families here. This is tragic. Yesterday, the FBI found Brian Laundrie's backpack and notebook near unidentified human remains. The FBI had not been able to search the area where the remains were found until now because it had been underwater. Today, when I walked back there, I got to see firsthand the treacherous conditions that they were working on. We're talking about water levels up above almost the chest area, rattlesnakes, moccasins, alligators. Brian's parents were not at the preserve Thursday after leaving the day before, noticeably upset. The family attorney says there is a high probability the human remains that were found are Brian's. I'm I'm just still thinking about Gabby, not even Brian. Gabby. Jane Kornberger lives five miles away from the nature preserve and joined a group of people here waiting for answers. She was upset when some law enforcement who aren't leading the investigation stood in front of cameras without any real new information. Complete disappointment. They came out to say they were working in treacherous conditions, which we knew. We've known that for a month. The Laundry family reported Brian missing on September 17th after he left their home five days earlier. Brian remains a person of interest in the death of his fiance, Gabby Petito, whose body was found strangled in Wyoming following their month-long road trip out west. Uh, all of America is watching, okay? But we'll never, never jeopardize an investigation to give that information out until the time is right. 
And this is video that we just got into our newsroom moments ago from the Brian Laundry family home. Officers with Northport Police there, two of them seen there going inside the home. Um, the, it's been reported from the family attorney that has said that the family has been notified uh, that the remains were identified through dental records as Brian Laundry. Um, you can see the officers going inside the home. They stayed for a short while. Again, the FBI putting out of about 20, 25 minutes ago, saying that today a comparison of dental records confirmed that human remains found here at the reserve are those of Brian Laundry. Kelly. All right. And I know, Dan, you may be able to talk a little bit about this, but a question a lot of people are still asking about the parents. They went to the reserve yesterday. We know it had just opened to the public and they went to that location right there and they were able to uh, help find the remains of their son. Do we know what prompted them to go there? Has more been talked about the timeline for the parents' involvement in this search? Well, the attorney, according to the, fam the laundry family attorney, they say that they've been cooperating for the last couple of weeks with the investigation, um, that they knew some of the trails that, that Brian liked to frequent and the aid in the search yesterday. Um, I can tell you that they did not return. They did not go back to the reserve today. Um, and that is why you see those two officers going to the home to apparently make that notification. Right. They probably did. So more. Phil, the original question, why did it take so long? For the authorities to find the body of Brian Laundry. I'm going to give you a couple of parts to this. I'm going to let you go off. I'm going to let you do a film straight out of Brooklyn uh, response to this. Are you sure oh, you want to do that? I'm sure. Okay. Part A, why did it take so long? Part B, did it seem a little suspicious that the parents the day before just led the police directly to where, in fact, they found his remains? Part C, are you satisfied with the odontology uh, identification? That's the dental identification that these body remains are, in fact, Brian Laundry, because there's a lot of people questioning that fact. Go ahead, Phil. Make me proud. First up, uh, why did it take so long for his remains to be recovered? I think uh, if you watch that short video right in the beginning when the officer says there was water that was uh, chest deep, uh, there was, uh, he introduced several animals, uh, obviously the wildlife that's indigenous to the area could have scattered the remains. Um, I think the real, uh, stumbling block on recovering Brian's remains was obviously the, the fact that there was a lot, a lot of rain in the area, uh, around the time when he went missing, uh, it filled up that area. It's a swampy area. So I think the water was probably a big factor in that. You know, it, it might be easy to say, well, you know, even if he was on the water, he would have been floating or who knows, he might have been uh, under a branch or something like that. There's so many uh, factors. And when you go through that type of swampland, uh, the water is not clear. It's, it could be beautiful, clear rainwater that falls. And within minutes, it's, you know, it's muck. It becomes green muck. So bottom line, uh, I think that's the answer to the question of why it took so long. Secondly, the parents, it probably was a little suspicious, but we had talked about there could have been a, a negotiation, a deal negotiation uh, negotiated between the FBI along with the attorney and the parents. We know that there was definitely some type of uh, communication going on between them. The lawyer stated that, came right out of his mouth. So I think that there's a clear uh, explanation for you know, the fact that uh, it's not a rumor that there was a negotiation or communication going on. It was fact. So there could have been some, uh, you know, we won't charge you with this if you give us the information on where the body's located. I think it is quite suspicious that, uh, you know, that they show up and then very shortly thereafter, uh, you know, that the, the remains are recovered. Now, we don't know if they were called there, they went there, they met the, the FBI there. So I think that's still a little bit unclear, although it seems to be that they uh, initiated this, uh, this latest search that recovered his remains. And um, C, the odontologist. I mean, I, I have absolutely no problem with that. I think it's 100%. I mean, Dental records are like a fingerprint. And if you have a professional odontologist examining the remains, which was, I believe it was the skull with the teeth intact, uh, you know, it's clear to see if if they had Brian's 
uh, dental records, which, you know, they executed search warrants way before he was even recovered. So I'm sure that they probably uh, were ready for that and had the uh, the dental records uh, loaded and ready to go. And I have uh, full and complete confidence that, yes, that was him that was identified. And I'd like to add one little thing. I guess we'll call it a D. Uh, more than likely, they did a, a DNA uh, not even more than likely. I think 100% they did a DNA examination of the remains after the odontologist uh, report. So uh, that's A, B, C, and D, Bill. I gave you a D. <laughs> that's good. I, uh, I didn't even ask for the D, but thank you. Uh, yeah, I have no doubt. You know, when I hear that uh, there's some very um, suspicious people out there that, you know, are talking about conspiracy theories and all that stuff, It's it was even the outrageous a thing that the parents brought their own bones there. Like, come on, let's, let's stop getting ridiculous, ridiculous you know, ridiculous. because if you want it, if you, if you, you can, of course you could buy a skull and you could probably buy a skeleton. But the thing is the dental records, the odontology matched. And if this was going to be a conspiracy, you'd have to have at least three or four law enforcement agencies conspiring along with the dentist, along with the anthropologist, along with the pathologist to do a fake identification. There's no doubt, I believe, when the FBI and local police said, yes, the, the remains are, in fact, Brian Laundry. I think that's uh, that's 100% a hit. And the, the other thing is, as you said, of course they took DNA. It may not have come back yet because guess why? They're not in a rush to get it back because they're satisfied that the odontology uh, e examination and verification is good enough to make the identification. Now, one of the things that we spoke about, and um, we're going to still stay on this, what, what took so long for them to find uh, his remains. And obviously, uh, the whole thing, the water rose. And if, if you've been inside this Mayakahachi uh, Creek Reserve, it's a, it, it's, a, uh, real, it's a real like little jungle, to tell you the truth, you know. And I, as you guys know, I did a little show from there on Sunday. And it is, uh, to me, it's beautiful. But at the same time, a very like scary place, you know, realizing all the different types of animals in, are in there and at least probably 10 of them could kill you. You know, those feral pigs, my God, those are scary animals, you know, and then they have mountain lions, there's alligators, there's snakes, all kinds of snakes. And that, to me, makes it pretty scary. And so they didn't find him again because the water rose and maybe they also didn't have the cooperation early on with the parents that they uh, somehow were able to obtain through uh, the FBI and through uh, the, uh, the attorney, Mr. Bertolino. Absolutely, Bill. And I think that, uh, you know, th there's another component there too. The, uh, the fact that the, the family went to uh, his mom and dad, went to the scene. They identified the items that they recovered. So you have that, you have the odontologist, we have the DNA. And uh, I think it's quite clear that it's him. And um, in my opinion, it sounds like uh, early on that he went into this area. Uh, he may have been, uh, you know, he may have met his, uh, his ending uh, early on, I think. I don't think that, uh, that it happened, you know, within a short period of time from when he was found. I think it was more likely closer to, I guess it was the 13th or the 14th of September when he actually went into that area. That, that's what I think happened. Either he met up with uh, some, uh, you know, some ill fate with uh, one of the wildlife at the location or he took his own life. I think those are the two considerations there. Well, you know, that was the other thing, and we're going to get into a little, a little more of that later, is we have the um, the theories of how he died. And right now, they're just theories. So, Because we don't have a manner of death, and we don't have a cause of death. For folks that don't know the difference between manner of death, the manner is homicide, suicide, accidental, or natural. That's the four ways of the manner of death. The cause of death... Uh, it could be homicide, suicide, accidental, uh, you know, and, or excuse me, it could be, the cause of death could be blunt trauma, could be gunshot wound, could be suicide, uh, could be that animals in, in, in the reserve killed him, you know, so we don't know. And that's the thing that's really disturbing to a lot of people is that how do we not know how he died at this point? Because I think they don't want to jump out and uh, just make a prediction 
And I think the local police did make a prediction that he committed suicide, but you can't really say that if you don't have scientific evidence of that. And if, if you do say that minus scientific evidence, it makes you look uh, less than professional. Did the, uh, uh, the local police did uh, make a comment to that, that they believed he committed suicide? Yeah. Well, they were a little, you know, they had taken a big beating, uh, especially in regards to, uh, the surveillance and yes. losing him. And, and so they had predicted early on that he was in the Mayakahatchee Preserve and that he, in fact, committed suicide. They predicted that. And now they were almost taking a um, spiking the football saying, see, we told you early on, but yeah. there yeah. still is no, there still is no evidence of that. And because the body w was skeletonized and not just skeletonized, but it was scattered all over the place and there wasn't much of the skeleton even left. Right. It's very difficult to say, oh, yes, he committed suicide. You cannot say that uh, with any type of scientific um, surety, but there's, there's no way you can predict that. Of course, Bill. And even if uh, in his uh, his backpack or his, uh, they said there was a pad, a notepad, if there were, even was a suicide, that still does not say 100% it was a suicide because he could have written the note or made, left a message contemplating suicide. And again, the interaction with the um, with the wildlife in the area could have happened in the interim. And I think if he was, if they could prove he was killed by the wildlife, that would be considered an accidental uh, death. Uh, you named all the different uh, classifications, but I would just want to say that if it was, in fact, uh, uh, interaction with an animal, let's say uh, a wild boar or, uh, uh, you know, one of these bobcats or a snake, that would be considered accidental because it's not natural. It's not homicide. It would be considered an accidental death. I'll tell you one thing, and through walking through that uh, that reserve with Preserve, uh, Mayakahatchee Creek, I wouldn't camp... <laughs> I wouldn't camp in that place in a tent if you paid me. I mean, yeah. it is it is that to me, you know, being a city boy, a suburban boy, uh, a scary place. And unless you, uh, you know, you're some survivalist, I wouldn't feel safe uh, camping in, in that location. So uh, you really would have to be a camping aficionado and know what you're doing and know how to stay away and keep the animals away from you. And I don't know if he in fact had that level of expertise uh, as a woodsman, you know, I, I just don't know that. I, I would think that if you were going to uh, do that, you're going to go into that area and you were going to hide out, you'd have to be up in a tree somewhere to keep yourself safe from all the while. And even then maybe, you know, there might be uh, tree climbing animals that can get up to you or snakes or something like that. So, but uh, listen, I think it was probably, fairly soon after he got into that area that he met his demise. That's what it sounds like to me within, a, I would say, a day or two. For sure. You know, another thing was besides the um, the skeletal evidence uh, and that has, has been identified as Brian Laundry, there was other evidence recovered. There was a backpack and there was a notebook. Of course, everyone wants to know what the hell was in that notebook. Is the notebook salvageable? Can you read what's in that notebook? Was there a suicide note? Did he confess to what he did in that notebook? And that's, you know, of course, very important. But the FBI will be in no rush to, to release that if they ever do. Yeah, they probably wouldn't release it to the public. Um, that's something that I would consider to be, you know, uh, something only that the family I would discuss with. Uh, you know, I mean, look, you're looking at a, a homicide investigation, uh, a possible suicide uh, you're going to want to keep all of those things close to the vest, I would imagine. And I think the only people that really have the right to know if there was a suicide note and what the contents of it were would be his family, not even the Petito family. I mean, uh, you'd probably offer to them that, yes, we believe it was a suicide. There was a note. However, we don't want to discuss uh, unless it was pertinent to the to the homicide, if he said, you know, I couldn't live with myself because I killed Gabby, then I think that they would have the right to know. But if it was something more on a personal, maybe uh, saying goodbye to his mom or his dad or something to that effect, I would want to just, you know, let the family know. I'd let the Petito family know, listen, there was a note. He didn't make one word mention of uh, your daughter, but he did have, uh, you know, uh, a goodbye to his family. And I wouldn't go into detail about it because those are certain elements of, 
uh, investigation that are really only privy privy to the next of kin or the family, you know, in a case like that. Would you, would you agree with that, Bill? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Because if what's in that notebook has no bearing on the case, but is very right. private, they have really right. no reason to release that. You know, folks, if uh, if you're not subscribed to us, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. It's free to subscribe and be a member. Join the um, the YouTube family of Police Off the Cuff. There's uh, five levels, the bucket for $2.99 a month, uh, coffee with cannon for $6.99 a month, Polish my rack for $9.99 a month, dipped in butter for $24.99, and heated dipped in butter for the premiere one, $49.99 a month. But guys, just join the uh, Police Off the Cuff family. We also have a Patreon. We really could use your um, you know, your support. And uh, believe me, if you like things from a police perspective, you're not going to get any uh, more of a police perspective than a two former NYPD retired detective and a sergeant. Ivan Hawthorne. I take that's a very Irish name. It's baffling to me why Brian, who was from the area, went to the reserve to hide out, given all the wildlife. He knew the area very well. He knew it was flooded or would flood. He took his own life, I think. Ivan, you know something? I don't awesome. totally disagree with you. And I think, but un until we know scientifically that that's what happened, we can't just throw it out there as, as in fact, a truth. You know, so we have to get scientific. And we're waiting on the anthropologist to come back and say, oh, there's bite marks from an alligator. You know, I don't know if they, in fact, can will be able to tell that with the, um, the sparsity of uh, actual bones that they recovered. But if they can, that would help, uh, you know, a lot of people that are questioning, was it, uh, was it a homicide? Was it a suicide? Was it natural? Was it, did the animals eat them? Was it accidental? You know, people want to know. And that we may never know the answers. We may never yeah, absolutely, Bill. And I think that uh, examination of bones and fragments and things like that, that all is very time consuming. And uh, it, it may take a very long time before they're even able to recover everything regarding his remains and whatever they do recover. I mean, uh, like you said, if there's some type of a bite mark, it's not going to be throughout his whole body. It's going to be generally in one area where the alligator would have grabbed and bit down and did whatever it did. So if that piece of uh, bone fragment is not found, it's going to be difficult. And again, I, I think that that last comment, they made some good points that, you know, if, if he knew the area, why would he go there? Uh, I think that, you know, I'm just going to spitball a little bit here. Uh, they did buy that trailer right after he got back. They took the trailer and they went out into the woods. Maybe they just felt, you know what, they were going to put the trailer in the woods and let him stay there for an extended period of time to hide out. And when they realized that people saw the trailer and they, you know, they knew that uh, they would know what to look for, that they, you know, they scrapped that plan. Or else why would they have bought that trailer as soon as he got back and then him, his mom and dad decide to go off for two days into the woods to, uh, you know, to try out this new trailer. There was something to that. I think that's an, a component of this whole thing. And I think it was, a, a plan that was hatched and then they, you know, they X'd out the plan when they realized, you know, neighbors saw us or people saw us with this trailer or where they bought it. And they just knew that it was, a, it was, it was a, it wasn't a good plan. And again, maybe he fully intended to commit suicide, didn't tell anybody, kept it to himself, said, listen, I need to get away. I'm going to go take a hike. And then he wound up committing suicide. Both, both of those uh, scenarios, I think, are quite possible. Either him going into the woods and getting attacked by uh, wildlife or the suicide. Those are the two strongest uh, theories that I have. You know, I want to ask another question. Of, of course, this is woulda, coulda, shoulda. But early on in the investigation, there was a bit of a, uh, a ping pong match between the Northport police and the police out in Suffolk County, Long Island, or over who was going to take the missing person report. Uh, now, missing persons, uh, most police departments, the criteria for that is the missing person report is taken in the residence of the missing person. So in our mind, she lived with the laundries in, in Northport, Florida. And also in the mind of the police out on Long Island, uh, they were saying that she didn't live there. She lived in Florida. So they didn't want to take a report. But Northport also didn't want to take the report. So it was sort of like a pissing match 
between these two agencies. And I think finally the police department on Long Island, Suffolk County took the report and referred it to Northport. Now what that did was it made Northport be able to say, Oh, we weren't the lead agency. So did that mean that you weren't jumping in there, you know, with both feet into the water? Uh, what did that mean that you weren't the lead agency? Because as you can recall, Brian Laundy arrived home from uh, Wyoming on September 1st, and Gabby wasn't reported missing till the 11th, September 11th. So a full 11 days went by. Did this pissing contest between the police departments cause this? Or, and also the laundries were not answering or taking calls from them. Nor, of course, nor was Brian. So there's a whole 11 days where this case I question what was going on in that this case during those 11 days. I would like to know how uh, soon after the first that uh, Gabby's parents uh, tried to report her missing. I would be, uh, you know, very interested in knowing if it was close to the first or if it was closer to the 11th. And the reason I say that is because, you know, as the days went on, a lot of things could have uh, transpired regarding you know, covering up of evidence and different things like that. So I think that's a very good point that you brought up, Billy, that, uh, you know, there was that little ping pong match. I believe it was a detective in Suffolk County that eventually took the bull by the horns and said to called Northport and said, Hey, this is a missing girl. You know, uh, they were on this, uh, you know, this, uh, this trip throughout the country, uh, 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 driving through the country and she's nowhere to be found. And he's got her van. And I think at that point, you know, the, the, the alarm bells went off in the Northport Police Department that it was actually a, a legitimate missing person. And, uh, you know, there was obviously foul play. And that's when the, the whole investigation really got rolling. And uh, that's, uh, you know, good for him, that detective in Suffolk County. I remember reading that a while back that it was, a, I think it was the detective that the family knew or reached out to. Somebody knew him and uh, got the ball rolling. I mean, it was probably best guesstimate. It might have only been a day or two because I, would, I think I would be frantic if I found out all the things that they knew that, you know, there was no... Uh, responses coming from Brian, no responses coming from his parents, no responses coming from her, no responses coming from Brian. And, you know, I'd have been knocking on the door of the family's home at some point, you know, if the police weren't going to help. And so I guess, you know, th there was probably a little bit of a delay. I don't know if it was from the first, but uh, it sounds like there was definitely a little bit of a, yeah, I think you called it a pissing match. I think that's the right, that's the right terminology. Phil, you know something? If that was my daughter or my son and I was getting no response, guess where I would be? Oh, yeah. I would be on a plane <laughs> to Northport, Florida, 100%. and I'd be, knock I'd be knocking on their door with, yeah. a, bat with a battering ram, too, not yeah. with my fist, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Schmitty, uh, it makes sense that the family would not discuss anything during camping. Parents knew something. Brian was probably in panic mode. And knew this was a time with the family, maybe the last time. Schmitty, uh, you're very intuitive. I 100% agree with you. I believe that the Brian told his family that he killed Gabby. That's my belief. I have no scientific evidence of that. I have no proof of that. That is my uh, my instincts, and I think they know it, and I think the attorney knows it too. And I know Joe Murray's not here because he would strenuously – Object to me Object. saying that, but I think the attorney knows everything. I think he knows exactly what went down. And another thing we criticized the attorney for was how can you represent people from 2000 miles away? He never went to Northport, Florida. And, you know, we can Monday morning quarterback and say, maybe if he went there and spoke to the whole family and spoke to Brian face to face, maybe he wouldn't be dead right now. You know, and I know a lot of you people in the chat and a lot of people all over the place like are happy he's dead with the thoughts that he, he killed Gabby. But, you know, w at least we would know the truth. And I don't understand how an attorney can represent someone from a FaceTime on a cell phone. I think you got to go there and talk to the whole person and counsel the whole person and see the whole person and interview the whole family. I don't think you can do it from... Uh, FaceTime on a cell phone. Thoughts, Philly? You know, he may have been trying to skirt around the law because in order for him to represent Brian, uh, he'd have to be uh, licensed and registered to practice law in Florida. So maybe the fact that he was uh, doing it from New York where he is licensed and they were just getting consultation from him, 
I don't know the uh, the exact uh, letter of the law on that, but maybe he was skirting, uh, you know, an issue that would come up if he went to Florida and said, hey, I'm his attorney. There's no attorney-client privilege because you're not uh, registered as an attorney or licensed as an attorney in, um, in, uh, in the state of Florida. So I don't know if that played into it. Uh, he probably... Uh, you know, looking back Monday morning quarterback and uh, should have contacted an, a, a colleague in Florida. If he didn't know anybody should have got a referral for an attorney in Florida, because uh, as we said before, the parents should have been represented by an attorney as well as Brian. And I think you make the most strongest point, Billy. Had he had a face-to-face -face consultation with an attorney, maybe the attorney would have coaxed him not to go off on this hiking or said, listen, you know, cooperate with the police. Let's, you know, if you know what happened to her, maybe you can work something out, tell them where the body is and, you know, and then we're going to, we're going to proceed with a, a criminal defense for you and you may or may not be convicted. And if, if you are, you know, maybe we can work something out with the fact that you helped recover the remains. So th those are the, the options. I mean, Monday morning quarterback, and it's, uh, it's a little tough to say afterwards, but uh, I mean, if you look back on it, I think that that would be the best course of action. 100%. Uh, a sweet Melissa. I love that name. A real estate attorney can't represent the family from another state, nor could he do criminal law. I think he was more than a real estate attorney. He also yeah. did real estate. But uh, as far as Joe Murray said that he had checked out his website and he was a, a criminal attorney also. But Phil may have hit the uh, nail on the head when he said that perhaps he wasn't allowed to practice law in Florida. Then, the, then you have to uh, speak to an associate in Florida that is licensed. And I think that through an associate's license, you could probably uh, get around that. But uh, I, I, look, we can all we all know what happened, and no one knew that this is what was going to happen. So we're all we all have twenty twenty hindsight, and that's the way it always is, you know. Uh, Pauline Buckles, of course, what we know is Brian had no intentions of following legal advice other than to keep quiet. Well, that was the biggest legal advice that he did did follow. And that's what, in fact, made it so difficult for the police to conduct this investigation. They were never able, allowed to interview him, nor were they allowed to interview the parents. Don't you think a, a good interview or a good uh, investigator could have gotten to the bottom, this, the bottom of this very quickly if they could have interviewed Brian and or or including his parents? Of course. Look at Phil. Do you think you could keep the truth away from Phil Grimaldi? No, no, no. <laughs> I just want to make one comment about what sweet Melissa said regarding the attorney. Even though he was a real estate attorney, he could still represent somebody in a criminal action. He's still licensed as an attorney. And in, in, I, I know how New York is. So New York state, if you're licensed as an attorney, you, you can, you can also practice uh, civil law and you could also practice real estate law. Uh, you have to know all the components of the law, but your specialty could be real estate or your special specialty could be civil. However, if you go to a, a, a civil attorney and you confide them and tell them something, the attorney client privilege, I think would still be okay. You'd still be covered under the umbrella, umbrella of attorney client privilege. Uh, would you say I'm right on that bill? I, I, yeah, yeah, no, ab absolutely. I yeah. think it, a lawyer, once you say you have an attorney, I don't think the police are asking you, Oh, what's his uh, license number? What's his, uh, what's his telephone number? Yeah. You, you just invoked counsel, right? You know, wh whether or not, you know, you always see on TV, a lawyer will say, give me a dollar, you know, and the guy gives him, he goes, now I represent you. You, you show me an attorney that'll take a dollar to represent yeah. you. And, <laughs> you know, but, it, yeah, it's but you know, the point I was trying to make is that when you pass the bar, you're, you're a lawyer, you're, you're, you know, and you become registered in, in, let's say in the state of New York. Now you can represent all different areas of law. It doesn't have to be just, you know, so I think that, uh, I don't know if the point she was trying to make is that a real estate attorney can't represent young criminal. And I think he did both, uh, from his website, Joe Murray told us that he, he represented some people on criminal cases, misdemeanor criminal cases, something like that. But a real estate attorney, an attorney is an attorney in New York state. I, I'm not going to speak about any other states. I don't really know, but I believe in most states it's all the same. An attorney's an attorney. If you invoke counsel with an attorney, you have attorney-client privilege. Anything you tell them, and then you know, obviously, you'd want an attorney who's a real estate attorney doesn't know, doesn't do trials, doesn't do criminal law. You wouldn't want him representing you. It wouldn't be your interest wouldn't be best served by uh, by a real estate attorney. So I think that that part is clear. 
Snoozy girl, I liked your comment. I didn't get the feeling that the attorney was the touchy-feely type. Not sure how much he could have done to help Brian's mental health. You know, it's always good to have someone uh, counseling you and in your corner, even if they, you know, hold your hand uh, while they're counseling you. That 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 could help a little bit, you know. And if they can advise you on what's going on and what you potentially could be facing. And he couldn't, I don't think he could do that from, uh, you know, from 1,500, 2,000 miles away. But, uh, you know, I could be wrong, but I think that's correct. Phil, another question. Sure. Will we ever find out what the cause of death was of Brian Laundrie through the anthropologist reports? I think it's a possibility. Um, you know, uh, there may be stuff going on that we don't know behind the scenes, like toxicology. If the skull was intact and the brain was present, DNA and toxicology could be recovered from that. It could be recovered from any tissue that's found on the body or even bone samples. Uh, uh, if there's any blood, things like that could tell us about toxicology. Um, again, you brought up whether or not there's going to be uh bite marks on bones or different things like that. And, uh, you know, we don't know what evidence could come forward or be recovered from the area of the Mayakahachi Creek Reserve. Uh, so it's possible. And it's also possible that it goes, uh, it gets classified as undetermined, meaning that we don't know. We'll, we'll never really know the cause of death. But I think that there's probably going to be a lot of uh, examination, documentation, uh, investigation of all of these different things that we're talking about. And once all of those you know, we call it investigative leads. Once all of the investigative leads have been exhausted, then they'll probably classify it as undetermined if, in fact, it is undetermined. Yeah, I think you're right. Folks, if you're not registered for with us on YouTube, subscribe. Please hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up, and join the uh, Police Off the Cuff YouTube family. Another major question I have here, and I think uh, a lot of people will have this, um, will the Gabby Petito murder ever be solved? Will they ever be able to close this case based on even maybe circumstantial evidence? And is that even a possibility? Because that's what everyone wants to find out. And if they could prove a circumstantial case, and of course it's never going to go to court, but police, we spoke, spoke about this before. Police agencies close cases all the time based on the probability, and we in New York City, we'd call that an, an exceptional clearance, where the evidence pointed so heavily to one person that we would clear the case exceptional clearance. Obviously, there's not going to be an arrest because the person that we think did it is dead. But in this case, is there any potential for something like that, an exceptional clearance? Because that would also open the door to how, what am I thinking, Phil? A civil you, case, a yeah. civil case, right? Okay. For Gabby, for Gabby Petito's family to sue for wrongful sure, death. Sure, sure. Now sure. that's a huge thing, but is there such a thing in Wyoming as a exceptional clearance? And I don't even know in New York City if that would clear the the way for a um, for a civil case, because the lawyers could say, "Oh, how do you know? You know, this this doesn't prove my client did it a hundred percent." You're using circumstantial evidence. There was minus a court case. How can you prove this? Well, as far as the criminal case goes, Bill, I think that uh, there's going to be enough circumstantial evidence uh, unless there was some type of evidence recovered from her body indicating someone else's DNA or something to that effect, which I don't think is going to even be the case, although it's a possibility. But once all of the um, physical evidence is examined, from her body, from the location where she was found, all of that. Then you have whatever physical evidence was recovered inside the van that was taken from Brian's house when he drove back to Florida. Um, you're going to have cell phone evidence that's going to place him in a location. If he, in fact, did have uh, her phone, we believe he may have had her phone and answered text. So wherever her phone was, if we can almost proved that it was in his possession by the fact that he had his cell phone. And if they're both pinging in the same location, then that's going to be a good assumption if we can lock down the time of death being August the 27th or the 28th. Uh, you're going to have all the other things that precipitated the 27th and the 28th, which was earlier on the 27th. There was the argument inside the restaurant called the Piglet. 
uh, where he became enraged, got into an argument with staff at the restaurant, uh, stormed out or was asked to leave. She went back in hysterical crying, apologizing. And then you have all the way back to the 12th of August where there was the Moab police uh, body camera footage where they interacted with them on a domestic violence issue. So you're going to take all of these specific things and other things that we don't know about. We don't have privilege to the case folder. There may be other things. There may be much more evidence than we really know. Uh, one of the things I cited was video evidence from locations that he may have stopped on his way home. So if you put all of those things together, I think there's going to be enough what we would call an exceptional clearance. I don't know if they do that in the, in the federal system or like you said in Wyoming, but uh, I think that uh, there probably will be based on, you know, all of the stuff that we already know and the stuff that we don't know. You know, Scotty Wagner, who I worked with in the two, three detective squad just posted something. He said, I had an exceptional clearance uh, that a civil case was made and the victim's family won. So it is possibility. It's a possibility because I would think that the, um, Laundry family, uh, excuse me, the uh, Petito family would love to get a civil case so that they could perhaps question uh, Mr. and Mrs. Laundry during the civil case and get the truth out of them. Like, I'm sure they know a lot of things that, um, look, when you looked at the, uh, and I bring up the O.J. Simpson case, criminally he was cleared, but if you watch the civil case, they ate him up alive 100%. because the, the rules of a civil trial are much different. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a preponderance of ever, evidence, which is much easier uh, to prove, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt is, is uh, you know, the prosecution has to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Now think of preponderance of evidence. It's a whole different story. Yeah, Billy, I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, Beyond a reasonable doubt, just let's look at that that uh, phrase, beyond a reasonable doubt. That means that you have to say there can't be anything else logical that could have happened to this person. So we're going to you know, say that they're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But now preponderance of, of evidence is a much lower threshold. You need four out of six jurors to rule in your favor to win a, a civil case. That's considered the preponderance of the evidence. It's more than 50%. It's 51% or more that will believe that, yes, this person is guilty of that crime. And I think the latitudes and the leeway that uh, the court gives on civil cases is much greater. You know, when you're testifying in a uh, in a criminal uh, trial and, you, you know, especially a murder case, uh, the judge keeps you in the lane of what you have to talk about. They don't allow you to talk about uh, hypotheticals or what another person may be thinking, which would be called hearsay. But in a civil case, I think the latitudes are a little bit wider and they let you get in a little bit more regarding uh, what happened in, in any specific case. And I think that there's probably a great chance there will be a civil case if they the, the uh, Petito family wants to go that route because, I mean, they can almost guarantee based on the cell phone activity that they were together, she went missing. And um, there's going to be all of the stuff that was done in the investigation that they can use as uh, ammunition in the civil case. So, and I don't think it's going to be that hard to get four of six people on a civil case to rule in their favor based on what we know. And then there's the stuff that we don't know too. So uh, I I'm going to gamble and say, yeah, I think that they'd have a good shot at a, at a civil case. Phil, will another good question, will the laundries ever, ever speak to the authorities? Well, I mean, they don't have to at this point. Uh, like we talked about a little bit earlier in previous episodes, we said that uh, we believed based on the attorney's uh uh, Bertolino statements that there was conversation between the FBI and the laundry family. And I think that those conversations may have been, you know, if you cooperate with us, tell us where Brian is or give us where Gabby's body is, uh, we can work something out. I'm sure that that negotiation was going on. I, I mean, what else would the FBI be talking to them about? Uh, maybe it could be that they were, you know, asking them for help in the search for Brian since he was a missing person and, you know, looked at, uh, he had an arrest warrant for, uh, for the, uh, you know, the credit card stuff. Uh, so I don't know, maybe it was just uh, stuff like that, that they were talking about. I doubt it. He made it seem like it was a little bit more, 
uh, in depth uh, regarding conversation. And will they talk to them in the future? Unknown. I, I really don't know. But I think a good way to get them to talk would be through a civil trial. That's probably because uh, you'll get them on the state. You'll get them in depositions first and you can depose them. They're on the road if they lie. And if you can prove they'll lie, they're guilty of perjury. So uh, they'd have all the reason to not lie and tell the truth. So, but uh Again, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to answer that question if they're ever going to speak to authorities. I would say almost 99% no. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And I wanted to follow that question up. And because, again, we all know what happened because we're here. And, uh, you know, we all we all have a 2020 hindsight. But we know that Brian is dead. Gabby is dead right now. Uh, and knowing that now, was the advice given by Stephen Bertolino, the attorney for the for the laundries and uh, Brian, the laundry family, and as well as Brian, was his advice to remain silent the best advice possible? Yeah, that's really a tough one. Um, I would think that had they not kept quiet, uh, there's probably a good chance that Brian would still be alive because he may not have gone into the uh, the wooded area and whether he committed suicide or was killed by uh, wildlife. So, I mean, I don't know. L listen, if Joe Murray on, was on the show, I know what he'd be saying. He'd be saying, you know, no, they, they, he did everything right. Uh, he did invoke counsel. I get it. Uh, he didn't, you know, you, you know, you don't have the right to remain silent in the United States of America. And they exercise that right. I get it. But, you know, we're looking at it from a different lens now because we know what happened uh, subsequent to that. So there are cases and I've actually counseled on cases when I was retired, uh, where, uh, a person was going to be looked at in a murder case. And, um, you know, they absolutely positively 100% did not do it. And I suggested strong, uh, cooperation with law enforcement. And then they were actually later asked to submit a photograph for uh, a, a photo array, which would lead to a lineup and eventually did lead to a lineup. But the attorney in on the case called me and asked me, he says, listen, you know, they're asking for a photo. I don't have to give this photo. You know, I said, listen, we've cooperated so far. 100% he didn't do it. He's made statements from the, the night of the murder. This is a couple of weeks later. All they're going to do is going to send detectives to lay in wait for him and take a picture of him and then put in a photo array. So why would we stop cooperating? Now, We turns out we cooperated fully. Uh, most 99% out of 100, they don't do that. But in this particular case, the way thing, things were working, I'm not going to get into the whole details of the case, but it actually worked out very well that the cooperation was there with law enforcement. Statement made, uh, gave up the photo of himself to be in the photo array. They picked the photo array and said it was him. And then a lineup uh, subsequent to that said that uh, it wasn't him. So he was eventually uh, cleared of the whole thing. Photo flies photography. Carve it up, Bill and Phil. Great to be here tonight. We're happy that you are here with us, for sure. We're Lisa, carving it up. Carving it up. Lisa Thompson, that's a diesel, what about... That's a diesel or, uh, that's, that's right. Term. What about the training exercise they had? Could that have been the FBI taking out Brian something fishy going on? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I think what, that, what do you think she's referring to the training? I'm not getting that though. Early on, there was a lot of there was they did some big training exercises in the Maya Kahachi Preserve, uh, but they were also the, the search was on. I mean, I can't imagine what it cost the Northport Police Department to do the level of search that they in fact did in in the Maya Kahachi Preserve. I mean, they had uh, helicopters, they had drones, they had all kinds of vehicles, they had. Uh, those airboats that you know you see in the uh, in the Everglades. Uh, so I think that it, they they went all out, and I think it cost them a fortune. So I'm not buying any of the um, conspiracy yeah. theories of this. Uh, look, is it possible that the FBI has a treasure trove of evidence and information that we are not privy to that makes the case even stronger? against Brian Laundrie in regards to the the murder of uh, Gabby Petito. I believe they probably do have a lot more information that, in fact, we have no knowledge of because they're not going to release it. And now that there is never going to be a criminal case, they may have to turn it over to attorneys if there's going to be a civil case. And that, that may be the only way we ever find out the truth if in fact there is a civil case that's levied by the Petito family. 
I just want to make one comment on that bill that just because he was never officially charged with the charge of murder in the Gabby Petito case doesn't mean that they weren't loaded and ready to do that. They had the charge for the credit card. I think that was just, uh, I wouldn't call it a stall tactic. It was just a ploy to get him where he was wanted and uh, so that if he was spotted somewhere, he could be arrested and held. Um, you know, anytime you've worked with prosecutors, Bill, and I know same thing with me, they like to move very slowly with these things and they'll only pull the trigger on an arrest warrant for a homicide or, you know, even to give you authorization to make the arrest on a homicide when they're satisfied with everything that's taking place. You know, there wasn't a real long period of time here that this whole case had been going on. It seems like it was long, but when you think about it, uh, toxicology could take four to six weeks, a uh, different examination that was being done. I mean, they held uh, Gabby's body for quite a long time. I, I know they did extensive uh, ex exams, and that tells me that a lot of that stuff uh, telephone work, you know, it all takes a lot of time. So they weren't in the point being is they wanted to get hands on him. They wanted to have him incarcerated if they could get him alive, put him into jail and wait for all of these different things to, uh, evolve. And then when the, the time, you know, time is on your side, uh, and you, you know, you do the arrest warrant or you hit him with the charge of the, of the murder. Uh, the point being just because that, that never happened doesn't mean that the evidence wasn't there to proceed with a murder charge. Aya Etrelia wait. she said, I guess it's just me, but if you're innocent, you should have no fear talking to law enforcement. Well, you know something, in, in our country, uh, the rights of the those accused, you have the right to invoke counsel, and that's what he did. And, uh, you know, we've see, we see it from both sides of the fence, being law enforcement and seeing the accused. If a, if a, if a law enforcement officer is, in fact, accused of a crime in the line of duty, you think he's going to go speaking to the district attorney without counsel? No, he's going to invoke counsel. So take that from where it's coming from, you know? It, uh, you know, just a little add on to that, Billy. Uh, if the police come to your door and they're asking you about if you've ever seen a missing person, you could fully cooperate with things like that. But if the police come to your door and they're asking you where you were on the night of the 12th and you know you were involved in a murder, it might be a good idea to uh, call up Joe Murray and get some representation. <laughs> Sweet Melissa, can they hold Brian's parents responsible? They didn't kill Gabby. They just remained silent. That's their right. So can they be sued? Well, civilly, yeah, they can be civilly sued. Uh, and that they would, you know, the civil, the laws in a civil case are much different than those in a criminal case. And they could sue them for the information that they believe they have in a wrongful death lawsuit. And you know what, Billy, if there's some type of insurance, uh, that may extend, there's a thing called an umbrella policy. It could extend to Brian. He lived in the home. It could extend to Gabby. If she lived in the home, uh, you know, maybe, obviously, they would be suing the estate of Brian Laundry if they feel he's the one that's responsible for the murder. Now, if the parents did something that they feel that they could uh, tie them in and make them culpable for, you know, his escape or aided his, uh, you know, his fleeing from, from uh, justice, then they possibly could add them into the lawsuit. And I would think that, you know, I don't know what kind of uh, assets these people have, but you're usually going to want to go for a... Uh, uh, an insurance company, uh, an insurance policy, whether it be an umbrella or a homeowner's policy. And again, maybe there isn't a lot of assets, but I think that if you did it and you got to get them on the stand and talk, or you got them under oath in a deposition to talk, uh, you know, you might get some, the family might get some justification out of that, you know? 100%. You know, one of the, th Phil, I want to get to this because we only have about uh, seven minutes left. Okay. Uh, and I want to get to this. How has this case, or has this case, put a, a spotlight on domestic violence? Oh, I think it definitely did. Based on that uh, one hour and change uh, video that they took from the Moab Police Department body cameras, uh, you know, Gisela had made a, a great point when she was on our show. She talked about how uh, when she was in a situation, if somebody had just asked her the words, are you safe? Do you feel safe? Are you comfortable, you know, being in the company of this person? Now, I don't know that that wasn't said to her. I don't think it was said in the video that was released. But uh, so, yeah, I think there's definitely going to be um, you know, going forward, people that 
uh, law enforcement that are going to come into interaction with domestic violence cases. They may have this Gabby Petito case in the back of their mind and go the extra mile. And she also came up with a second thing, Geese, that I credit her for. She said they maybe should have checked with Brian and Gabby the next day, which I think might have been another uh, component that could have been helpful. I, I don't know if it would have been helpful in this specific case because she was killed uh, weeks later, but uh, maybe in another instance, you know, uh, if you get separated by the police and uh, they don't make an arrest, but they separate you and then the next day they check in on you, it sort of seems like they're following it up. And I think that if there was a, a abuser, he might think twice about doing something. Uh, again, they were traveling. So I don't know if the dynamics of that specific case would have even worked out. They may have been gone in the morning, but uh, those are two things that I think are good. And yeah, we can always learn from every case and wherever there's room for imp improvement, room for improvement in law enforcement regarding domestic violence. I think that we should always put our best foot forward and try to do that. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that this definitely put a spotlight on uh, domestic violence. And we said early on that we thought that the, uh, the Moab police were professional. We thought they did a good investigation. Uh, of course, what happened, they could never predict what happened or what was going to happen. Uh, I think that was October 12th. Uh, that they had the um, uh, that they they pulled them over, and I think that we we August said that, not October it was August. I'm August sorry, excuse me, August. Uh, yes, yeah, August. August twelfth and August twenty seventh, we believe was or thereabouts was right. the day or dates that we believed that uh, Gabby was killed. So a full fifteen days went by between that incident, and many people, of course. Uh, blaming the Moab police that if they had arrested either one of them, that that would have prevented this. I don't know if that's if that would have. I think you know, as we said, that we thought they were professional, but you know, they're being um, they're being put under a microscope now. In fact, they I believe the the department hired a private consultant to look into whether they in fact uh, did a proper investigation. Um, uh, Sarah Claire Claire, does the does the public have the right uh, does the public have the right for answers from law enforcement? Do you think anything more of evidence will be released for public knowledge? The public does not have a right to uh, obtain evidence that may be uh, secret or that the law enforcement entity may be keeping it uh, under watch for a while. And I mean, you. You could see the FBI totally plays by that. They don't release anything. You could, of course, uh, the press and several other entities always, they could file what's called the Freedom of Information Law and to try to get them to release it. But I've seen police departments, I've seen government agencies stalled and still not release it after a, a FOIL release. So, uh, Sarah, your, your answer is... Uh, no, you don't have a right for an answer from law enforcement. And that's not under all circumstances. I think what you're talking about is for information from this case. And uh, the press will file will file freedom of information because they want to know it. It's in their best interest. They want to give in interesting broadcasts. They want to write interesting stories. And without the information, they can't possibly vet the information that they write about or put out there. I just want to say, guys, tonight at 10 o'clock, I'm going to be on the Ashley Banfield show, uh, news. Uh, what is that? News Nation, I guess it's called, and uh, talking about policing across the U.S. And uh, I'm not the only one. I think there's two two other talking heads. That's what you call it when you go on a a TV show. You're a talking head. You know. Is that going to be a live episode, Bill? Is it going to be? Yeah, it's it's live. Thank God I do this because I'm not nervous about going live at all. You yeah. know. So uh, sure. But yeah, it's supposed to, it's going to be live and. A couple of times I've been I've been called on that show and and a couple of times they've canceled me at the last minute. So if that happens, don't call me a liar the next time you see me. I, I, I'm told I'm going to be on. If they say, "Oh, a hurricane hit or with a, a huge story happened, we're going to bump you to another time," you know, which has happened to me a couple of times. I've been on it once so far, actually twice, twice in one day uh, at six o'clock and uh, excuse me, five o'clock and ten o'clock. So. I should be on tonight at 10 o'clock if everything uh, goes well. You know, Phil, I, I still think that uh, we'll probably come back and, and uh, revisit this case because it's not 
there's no finality to this. You know, it's still, um, it's still a lot of things that are unanswered. So I thought it was a great conversation we had today. I think the folks uh, in the chat uh, enjoyed it. Uh, we have a lot of questions. We don't have a lot of answers, but uh, sometimes questions give you answers. Phil, last thoughts. Last thoughts. I think that we covered a lot of the things. Uh, we got to that last comment real quick with a FOIA request. A lot of times, I think all the information that the public is supposed to get has already gotten, like the name of the victim, things like that. Um, when you do a FOIA request, a lot of times they redact it. So if there's something pertinent in there that's going to point the finger at somebody, they just black it out. Uh, they will leave in just you know basic uh, uh, details like name, addresses, things like that of a victim, which become public record. Uh, so, uh, again, uh, we've said this before, our condolences to Batito family. Uh, hopefully they're able to, uh, you know, go on with their lives and, uh, there may be other avenues for them to try and seek justice. Like Bill brought up, uh, the civil end of this. Uh, I would think that at some point the, uh, law enforcement authorities are going to sit down with them, go over everything, give them whatever answers they can give them. And, uh, they're in our thoughts and prayers. Gabby Petito foundation is a great, uh, charity, if you'd like to donate, it's it's on the internet, Gabby Petito Foundation. Um, Bill and I have both uh, donated some money to that, as well as other people around the uh, podcast world. And uh, we'll be back on it, I'm sure, again. There'll, there'll probably be some other develops, developments here and there, and uh, we'll be right on it. Folks, uh, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Thank you guys who are part of the Police Off the Cuff family. Uh, we really appreciate you guys. On behalf of myself, Bill Cannon, and my co-host, Phil Grimaldi, have a great night, everybody. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.